0: life audio
1: but hey we have a very very exciting special guest um near and dear friend to chitty and myself that's right um yeah let's welcome then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free
2: do you believe in life after addiction host of Life After Addiction.
1: Yes, sir. Here we are.
0: In a room full
1: of strangers.
0: Hey, dude, I swear. I knew you were going to start singing. I just had a gut feeling. I'm like, this dude's going to start singing. (laughs)
1: Did you watch the Super Bowl last night? I did. My favorite part was Chris Stapleton's national anthem. Okay, okay. He did a really good job, man. And then you had the tears. You're not supposed to talk yet until you're introduced, (laughs) guest. As you can see, (laughs) as you can see, we have the one camera angle. So now you know and you heard, but you don't know what voice that is. We have a very special guest. But back to uh, the Super Bowl, as the coach of the Eagles was crying, as the national because like his just in the Super Bowl so soon. Man, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I didn't see that. Well, that's because.
0: But I did wager thousand dollars on the Chiefs. (laughs)
1: thousand disciple dollars (laughs) thousand
0: disciple dollars which is zero human dollars
1: (laughs) but in heaven god will reward you for your gambling efforts (laughs) anyways this is going down but hey we have a very very exciting special guest um near and dear friend to chitty and myself that's right um yeah let's welcome tk how you doing man
3: i'm good how are you gentlemen
1: Doing well, yeah. doing well, man. So TK is a, a marriage and family therapist. He's the clinical director of Renew Clinic Knoxville, uh, which is an IOP addiction recovery uh, clinic in Knoxville. Booming! They've been open for what a year and a half now.
3: You coming up on two years, yeah.
1: Coming up on two years, and man, awesome things. They are like a sister brother ministry with us. Uh, they they believe the same things that we believe, and they that man, it's an awesome ministry. Uh, and so we're excited you might be asking well why are you having this guy on the podcast and i'm gonna let him t- tell you so tk why don't you jump in man why don't you tell us uh, and our viewers a little bit about you your story what's going on and yeah uh, man it's really good to have you we've been trying to schedule this for a minute it's been it, two since three years, years <laughs> i think two three years <laughs> in the making and our schedules just wouldn't come together but man uh, i'm really excited about this and have been have been
3: amen. yeah i'm excited to be here too and, and adam uh cheddar you know i I absolutely love what you guys are doing at s two l um and having been an alumni myself, I can speak oh. uh just just to the power of your program and what the lord is doing at s two l it's unbelievable um and cheddar I, man i gotta say it's so good to see you sitting there uh, you, <laughs> oh man God. you you were. I, i'm serious man you so you were what i think you'd been there seven months when I finally arrived in my Grand entrance at S 2 l Is that right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. When did you get here? All my time runs together. I've been here. Oh really
3: no, you would ask me that. Um,
0: like what year? 2018, 2019.
3: I think it was. It was the beginning of 2019.
0: Okay, so I had just become staff.
3: Yes. Cut
1: to a clip right now of DK <laughs> in 2019. And I, and I, Perfect I, intro. All
3: right, we're back. And I have a. And I, I'll get to a story about my uh, my first night showing up at S2L and meeting Genster.
2: Hello folks, my name is Derek Greer and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com That's Unity Weekend
3: Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Uh, we'll get to that, though. But anyway, hey, thank you for, for having me on. I appreciate the introduction. Yes, I'm a counselor. I am also in recovery. Um, actually just celebrated four years on January Boom. 27th. So, wow, praise God. Yeah, praise, praise God. God. That's God. it, man. Uh, he does get the glory for this. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. I, I was telling you guys before the show started. I actually realized um, I haven't told my story, sort of start to to now. I won't say finish because it's still being written. Um, but I, I have yet to do that. It's it's always been told, sort of in bits and pieces here and there, uh, whether it's you know doing group therapy or uh, something else for a new clinic. So kind of thinking through this last night, um, it, it drummed up a lot of stuff for me. Um, but it's really good to reflect on kind of where I've come from and where I've been and to see where the Lord has brought me today. Uh, you know, we, we talk about God's heart for us being redemption and restoration and, um, things I'd like to ask people is, you know, if you look back at your story, what would it look like for God to redeem the broken parts of it? Um, and so walking through this and getting to do this, I get to see that again, uh, and be reminded that man, he's, he's been at work even when I was in the gutter. Uh, and that's so cool. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'll jump in. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, go Vols. Um, go Vols, baby. Wow. Boy, go Vols <laughs> in your face. <laughs>
0: Jorian, cut that part. No, leave it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so my parents, man, um, my parents, they fought a lot when I was growing up. But this was not – this is not like a story of, you know, blame the parents. I, I really do believe that everyone – Is always doing the very best that they can in any given moment. Um, And I know my parents did the very best that they could with what they knew. Uh, But they fought a lot growing up. They divorced when I was nine. Um, And that divorce was really, man, it was the first thing that that really rattled any understanding I had of the world. Um, And it was messy. My parents did not do a great job at, at keeping me out of it. Um, but in, even in all of that, I I don't think I've ever questioned once, uh, my parents love for me, um, their heart for me, uh, their, their heart for me to do well. Um, I never questioned that. So, but yeah, we're all doing the very best that we can at any given point in time. Um, but that divorce when I was nine, that really began, um, the beginning of a narrative that I didn't fit in, um, that I was too sensitive that my problems are uniquely different than everyone else's and no one could understand.
4: Um,
3: And a big one in that too, was all good things have to come to an end.
4: Um,
3: And the reason I think that that's important is we all, we all desire to tell a story about ourselves to ourselves and to the world. Um, Whether we realize that or not, we are always telling a story. uh, Just kind of about who I am, my place in this world, how I experienced myself in this world. Um, and so that time period for me is when this victim narrative began. Um, and obviously I'm nine. I didn't know that at the time, but that's where it started. And so naturally, a, a you know, a progression of that, I became a kid that was begging for attention. Um, and up until about the age of 14, I, I garnered that through baseball, golf, good grades. Um, I was a, was a pretty good kid. Um, and then when I was 14, um, I don't remember what year that was. It was a long time ago, but I tried my first sip of alcohol at a party that my dad was throwing. It was some kind of, yeah, some kind of shindig. Um, and I remembered feeling happy. That's really all I remember about that moment. But I remember feeling happy um, and like I, I had the courage to talk to anyone there. And you guys have. Heard that a million times, like liquid courage,
1: courage. Um, but
3: that really was my first experience of it. Um, And so I drank from like 14 to 16, any opportunity I could Um, smoke weed when I was 15. Um, And so my sophomore year of high school, obviously having discovered alcohol, marijuana, my attention slipped away from academics, sports, uh, and it transitioned to girls and partying. And I think I, I had finally felt like I'd found a place that I fit in. Um, and it felt easy, right? Like I didn't have to work at it. Um, I, I knew that if I got drunk or did this or did that, it, it was going to be fun, Um, and it was for a while. Um, so my junior year, I got kicked out of the school I was going to. And my parents, <laughs> my <laughs> parents sent me to this boot camp program, um, in old Fort North Carolina called Seuss of the Carolinas. And I, and I do think that they do a wonderful job. Um, but that experience, um, it it rattled a few other things in me. Uh, my parents Hmm. immediately sent me to boarding school right after. Um, and I, and it felt like they didn't want me. Uh, now the truth of that is, uh, they didn't like me at that point in time. They loved me. I don't question that, but they didn't like me. I, I was I was not an easy kid. Um, I was incredibly rebellious. Um, I did not want to listen to anyone except myself. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't an easy kid to parent. And now being a parent of three boys, uh, one of which who now has opinions and <laughs> I don't always like them, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm <laughs> starting to see that. A little bit differently. Um, But anyway, so I went to boarding school, played baseball there. uh, And then I got kicked out at the very end of my first year. Um, Long story, but basically I broke all the rules that you can break. I broke them in about six months. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I moved back to Knoxville and I go to Farragut High School. Um, I'm at Farragut for a couple months and I (laughs) I decide to run away from home uh, because my mom would not let me follow widespread panic, um, because because that's what I really needed at that time, was to go to her with widespread panic. Um, so I ran away from home, and a few weeks after that, uh, I was sitting in chemistry class. The police come in. They pull me out. Um, you may have been surprised to hear I was still going to class when I ran away from home, um, but I was still going to school, crashing on friends' couches. Um, anyway, the police walk in like, Hey, you're, you're coming with us. Um, I had some marijuana in my pocket. That's not why they came to get me. They came to get me because I'd run away from home. Um, so I spent a week in juvenile. I get out of jail and my, my parents helped me get an apartment. Um, and I, they let me keep my vehicle and basically said, you obviously can't live with your mother. You can't live with me. My dad said this, you can't live with me. Um, Here's an apartment. We'll help you for a little bit. Get a job, get your GED, go to college. Um, And so that was a disaster. (laughs) Mm. I I was not ready for that level of independence, Um, even though that's, uh, you know, that's what I was screaming for. Right. That's that's what I thought I needed. I was not ready for that. Um, Naturally, being a senior in high school, my apartment became just an absolute mess. Um, and while I was in that, that's when I was introduced to cocaine, psychedelics, um, Mm -hmm. you name it, it it was there. Um, and so there's a period of four years here from about 18 to 22. Um, that was, that's really where my addiction just exploded. Um, I was introduced to opiates. I, I got hurt, um, playing backyard football. I went through a glass door, severed my radial artery, Uh, some nerves, tendons, and I had a few hand surgeries. As a result of that, I got put on a lot of opiates. This was back in the early 2000s when um, they were just, you know, riding them like candy. Um, Yeah. Again, looking back on that period of four years now, I I see a young man that was incredibly lonely. Um, Even though I had, you know, tons of friends and I always had people over Um, I was incredibly lonely um, and sad Um, I I remember now that I I could not be at my apartment by myself Um, I always had to be with people and so if there wasn't anybody at my apartment that night I was staying somewhere else and this went on for for four years so chronically lonely right Um, still really struggling with those beliefs that I had developed when I was a kid of not fitting in. Nobody wants me, yada, 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 uh, victim. Right. And that's, and I think it's important to, to understand that I really was a victim, uh, to my circumstances. Um, I wasn't the one doing anything. Things were just happening to me. Uh, life's happening and I don't have control over it. Um, so yeah, uh, can't hold a job. I bounced in and out of jobs for, uh, that, period of four years and then when I was 22 family basically has an intervention they send me down to Florida um, to where I I embark on like a series of treatment centers um, for about a year and so I end up getting arrested Uh, so this is my second time well no this was probably my fourth or fifth time getting arrested this time I got arrested for something a little more serious it was grand theft um, or theft over a thousand. Uh, so I got arrested. I spent 76 days in County jail. And while I was in the County jail, that was my first experience of of being suicidal. Uh, just Mm. not wanting to live anymore. Um, and because of that, I I got put on the mental health unit in the jail. And while I was there, even though I was only suicidal for a couple days. Um, but while I was there, I, I became really intrigued uh, by mental health, um, kind of intrigued by my own experience and how I could like feel all these things at one time. It didn't make sense to me. Like it literally hurt to have emotions um, while I was in jail. It, it was, it was a bizarre experience. Um, but I also saw, how the guards were treating some of these other inmates that clearly uh, i didn't know then but clearly had schizophrenia or other you know severe mental health disorders and i saw how the guards treated them and i i remember feeling just kind of disgusted by that um so anyway i get out of jail go to another treatment center uh this time something's finally shifting um and i i think it's more i, I was so terrified of failing um i, I didn't want to have to do this again so I go to a, another treatment center down there. I get a job at an Applebee's and I enroll in some night classes at Indian River State College. Um, and I did that for about six months. And in that six month time period, uh, I got a promotion at work um, and I made A's in my first two classes going back to college. And and I felt I had some confidence. Um, something was changing. Something was shifting. Um, and, and as a result of that, my family kind of started pulling me back into them, wanting me around. Um, my aunt and uncle lived in Beaufort, South Carolina. And so I moved up to South Carolina uh, to go to school at the university, USC, um, where I would you know, later graduate with a bachelor's degree. Um, but while I was there, I worked and I threw myself into school head first. I remember taking 18 hours a semester and working full time <laughs> which in mm-hmm. retrospect, that was crazy. Um, but again, I think I was still just just really broken um, and trying to distract myself from the things that were going on internally. I, I managed to maintain some sobriety. I, they, I had relapses, but they were brief. Um, so long story short, I finished school at USC and I actually graduated at the top of my class, which, which shocked me. Wow, um, wow. And I, and I felt like it probably shocked everyone else. Um, but yeah, I finished with a 4.0 graduated top of my class. I actually won the student student of the year award at USC. And, uh, so, so really, really proud of myself. And for the first time in my life, I felt like other people were proud of me too. Um, and so this, this is when I decided to go to graduate school. And this is really where I began to began the journey of, uh, the more I know, then maybe I can fix myself. Um, or if I'm able to fix other people, then maybe I can fix myself. Um, so I went to graduate school uh, for a master's in clinical mental health at Johnson University. Um, again, some small isolated relapses through there. Um, they were starting to get a little bit longer towards the end of graduate school, uh, the relapses were. Um, but I finished school, took a job in Crossville, Tennessee. Um, and I moved there with my soon-to-be wife, um, and it was a great a job, man. You took a job I, a as a counselor. Was, uh, so excited! Good job. Was um, working with a primary care physician's office. Uh, just couldn't be happier. Um, even though there were some, there was a professor in my life uh, when I finished at Johnson that said, "Hey, I don't think you're ready for this yet. Um, I, I think you should stay in Knoxville, get a job at an agency." And then eventually do private practice, because that's really what this was. I didn't listen, took the job up there. Um, and things went really well for a little while. Um, and I don't think I really realized how isolated uh, players, it's my wife at the time, um, how isolated we really were from any kind of support system. Um, and really, at that time, I didn't think I needed one. I can do it on my own. I've been doing it on my own self reliance you know um and, and so we did that, and a year into it um there was a, a series of things that happened, like bam, 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 um so she had gotten pregnant, and we lost our daughter, and she was about five and a half months pregnant um mm. and and it was a shock like it, yeah, absolute shock um and then 2 months later the physician that i was working with got into some trouble um and i won't go into all of that but essentially her getting in trouble my practice goes up in flames um and i don't really know what to do and she's in nursing school right now and we have bills to pay uh and then almost immediately after that my grandfather passed away um And my grandfather, I mean, he was just as much my dad, Um, I think at some points in my life, probably more a father than my own was. Um, And that was sudden, that was unexpected. uh, And that was rough. Um, So again, no support, incredibly isolated. Um, Our marriage begins to crumble. Um, And I, this, this was the big one. Uh, This was the relapse that, you know, ended it all, or at least it's It's what I thought. Um, Claire was five months pregnant again at the time that I relapsed, which is interesting because that's exactly how far along she was uh, when we lost the first baby. Um, And I was only a few months away from getting my LMFT license in Tennessee and and start to finish. That's a process that uh, graduate school to finishing takes about five to six years. Um, And once you finish graduate school, you only have a three-year gap to get all your post supervision in or you have to start your supervision over. Um, so I was only a couple months away from that. And man, I this relapse, I fell so hard and so fast and I did things hmm. that I never thought I would do. Um, that's, I, I did meth for the first time and and I didn't just do meth, I went straight to the needle, um, head first, you know, meth heroin, opanas, the whole nine yards. Um, And within about a period of seven months, completely destroyed everything that was at that point. Uh, My son, Tucker, he was born February 1st, 2018. I'm still using it this time. Sorry, so the relapse happened in August of 2017. Um, My son is born February 1st, and then February 17th, I get arrested um, and this time it's, you know, it, it's, it's pretty serious. I, um, I got arrested for manufacturing and distribution, um, and in introduction into a penal facility. Um, so a couple of pretty big felonies, I get out of there, uh, you would think that would be enough to make me stop. It wasn't, uh, I kept using for another month or so living in hotels. Now my, my wife at the time, she had taken my son and was staying at her mother's house. Uh, which that was, that was the right thing to do. Um, I was off the rails. Um, So continued to use for about another month. And then it was, Hey, court ordered treatment for 90 days. When you finish that, we'll kind of talk about what happens with your charges. Um, So I did that. I I went to a treatment center down in Georgia um, and then came and did a couple months in the impaired professionals program at Cornerstone and I, and I really, truly, 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 I mean this, I wanted to be done. Um, I really wanted to be done. Uh, and, but I had felt, I felt like such a massive failure. And, and here's the victim, uh, the victim narrative coming back full force, right? Like no matter how hard you work, things are always going to fall apart. Um, And just that belief, man, just running over and over and over in my head. So I I put a few months of sobriety together. And then August 2018, um, relapsed on heroin. And this was my, it was actually my first overdose ever. Um, Claire, my my wife, found me um, down in the bathroom. Of course, I don't really remember any of this. Um, I do remember as I was using, I knew it was too much. And I remember thinking, so this is what it's like to die. Um, (laughs) So anyway, I woke up in the hospital and uh, she's man, she's mad. Um, And she she basically says, "I'm, I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore um and so we kind of went through this back and forth she's leaving she's staying for about a week um I come home I agree to go on Vivitrol injections and she says okay I'll give you another chance um and so we're we're back home we're living together um spending time with my son spending time with her um had started to like stick my foot in the door at church um and I had become friends with uh, a pastor. His name's Chuck Hooten. Amazing, amazing guy. Um, And and he was, he was really supportive of me during, you know, that, this is a short period of time. He was really supportive of me. Um, And I really, I looked up to him and my brother-in-law, Corey Mayfield, uh, he's an associate pastor at Shoreline Church. Started talking with him a little bit, Um, but I still wasn't done. So January of 2019, um, Claire was working at UT hospital and our son was at his grandmother's house that night. And I I went, I bought some meth because I knew that she wouldn't be home till the next day. Um, And then I needed to come down off of it. And so I I bought some heroin and I remember now I, after waking up, I did not remember this for months. Um, But I remember now that night before I did um, a line of heroin, I remember crying out, begging God to take this. Um, Mm. I did not want to do it anymore. And I was tired of hurting everyone, um, burning every bridge that you could possibly burn. Um, I I was tired of the pain I was causing those around me. I woke up a week later uh, in Park West Hospital, really disoriented. I didn't understand what had happened. took about a day for me to kind of come back around and understand uh, the gravity of the situation. Um, And that's when I I learned from the doctor there, Um, when EMS had found me. So my wife came home from work at seven o'clock the next morning. Um, I don't remember anything after 11 p.m. So we think that's around the time that it happened. Uh, Told me that when EMS arrived, Um, that my heart rate was seven and my respiratory rate was two breaths per minute. And my core body temperature was 83 degrees. Um, Typically that's, I mean, there's no coming back from that. There's not any coming back from that. Usually Um, the doctor, man, I'll never forget. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, I don't know why you're still here, but it's a miracle. Yeah. And A couple hours after that, Chuck and Corey um, and another guy from Shoreline came to the hospital, and I just broke. Um, I became a believer that day, um, and that day changed everything for me.
4: Um,
3: but I tell people this all the time. So I became a believer. Um, God saved me from death, but He didn't save me from the pain uh, that was about to follow. So while I was still in the hospital, Recovering, I found out that um, I was going to have to go to a long-term treatment center uh, or else I was looking at going to prison. Um, And my wife, Claire, uh, she wouldn't answer the phone, didn't want to talk to me. Um, Apparently, she had stayed at the hospital and held my hand uh, basically for days. Um, And as soon as I woke up, she left. And and I, I didn't understand that at the time. Um <clears throat> I didn't understand that at the time. Um, I get it now. Um, so it, anyway, I'm rambling. So wake up, hospital, find out I have to go to treatment, and it's you, you need to find somewhere to go for a year. And so the trying to figure out where I'm gonna go for a year and still be able to see my son and spend time with him and um work on my marriage. Uh, it felt impossible. And then Corey, my brother-in-law, the pastor, told me about Spring to Life.
2: Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to UnityWeekend.com. That's UnityWeekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation.
3: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. And we started talking with Ron, and it was sort of an impossible situation, uh, and the Lord just moved mountains uh, for me to be there. And a week after getting out of the hospital, my brother-in-law drove me to good old Woodbury, Tennessee, and uh, pulled up into S2L, and I was greeted by Chittister. Uh, he carried my bags in for me. Um, he sat and he talked to me, and he just, man, he took a a really genuine interest in what was going on with me um, and kind of my story and, and how I'd gotten there. And, you know, at that time, I didn't really know my story that well, but I do remember Chittister just, just being so genuine and compassionate um and i could tell that he had walked a very similar road um yeah so that night uh after they're done checking me in and going through my bags uh we, we walk out to go over to the house and chidester looks at my brother-in-law and says hey you care if we just pray over him real quick and then he looked at me and he said you care if we pray over you and i was like no that's cool and so we bowed our heads. He put his hand on my shoulder. That was the first time I ever experienced anyone laying hands on me. Uh, and he said this prayer that was just bold and powerful, and and it felt mighty and it had authority. Um, and I remember thinking, "He's crazy. <laughs> like there's something wrong with this guy." Uh, he is crazy. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, I, I look back on that now, and it's it's just because he believes the same thing that i do um and we do have authority in the spiritual realm when we pray and uh man he was he was casting that on me um so the next four months um total um agony um i don't think i ever told anyone this while i was at hey
1: i think right now we we Earlier we went like we showed a two-second clip just to show what you look like. But, man, we do have recorded of where you are mentally and emotionally in this moment. Can we play that right now? You know what I'm talking about, just like a, uh, a minute or so clip. Can we play that right now just to show everyone this is where he was at in this moment of his story. This is where he was feeling. This is what God was doing uh let's play that for a second and then come back and finish it
4: my identity began to crumble when when my marriage and and my career uh, those things that i had built around me began to crumble Uh, when that happened i i I took a plunge uh, back into my addiction uh, and that was in august of 2017. Um, and i fell really hard really fast uh, and within seven or eight months uh, almost completely destroyed my life Kept going, kept going, and uh, all the way into um, an overdose that landed me on life support for five days. Whew. still a tough one. <clears throat> that was the darkest um, moment of my life, I was coming out of that coma and just seeing what it did to everyone around me. Um, you know, words can't express <clears throat> the the remorse that comes with that, the regret. What this program has taught me is that if I wake up every day and I follow Christ, I stay plugged into a church, um, I keep good fellowship around me, good godly people around me. I stay in the Word and I pray daily that 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 addict is dead. He's not here anymore, uh, and that's man, that's freedom. So
1: that was just a video that we just saw of, I don't remember how long you had been here, man, but we were doing a banquet and we recorded a whole bunch of testimonies, but yours was so powerful. We actually cut it out just to be you. And so what you guys saw was TK four years ago. Um, in one of the darkest seasons of his life, but he started to taste true freedom and the love of Christ for the first time in his life. Mm. Uh, and then it was an amazing moment. And so, carry on, sir. Sorry. No, (laughs) no, you're good. Yeah. So I had been
3: at S2L, I think at that point for about nine months. Um, and you're right. At that point I had tasted freedom. Um, and I, you know, I can smile about it now, but yeah, when I first got to S2L, man, those first four months, um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if my wife was going to leave me. Um, I didn't know if I was going to prison. I didn't know if I'd ever be a therapist again. Um, and so, You know, kind of in retrospect, looking back at that, realizing how much of my identity, it was made up in, you know, these external things. It wasn't made Mm. up in who God says I am. Right. Um, So, yeah, it was a man. It was a horrible four months. But but looking back on it, I wasn't ever alone. Um, And I was listening. I was listening to the sermons. I was reading my Bible. Because uh, man, I was in such a place of desperation, um, and and I and I believed at that point, like something is calling me out. Something is saying, "Hey, you're worth it." Hey, I've got a plan for you, and I really wanted to believe that. Um, and and so I so I began to. Um, Ron Anderson, one thing he kept asking me every time we would meet, he'd go, "Hey, you done yet?" And I'd be like, "Well, well, yeah, I'm done." He goes. I don't know. I don't know if it's hurt bad enough for you. <laughs> like, I don't know how much more it can hurt, but I think it's hurt bad enough. Um, and that, that, always, that always stuck out to me. I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, so anyway, you know, fast forward. I've been there uh, four months at this point. And uh, Chivister came up to me one evening in the dinner line. Um, I was about to make my plate. And uh, he said, bro, i want you to go last you're always the first one in line go last and i, <laughs> I looked at him like you i thought he was joking at first uh and so i stayed in line he was like no i'm being serious i got so mad um i, I didn't understand what he was talking about i didn't get it i thought it was stupid um and then a couple of days later uh we're, we're going to the gym and chittister drove the the gym van often and I get in he says, hey, I want you to sit in the back. I was like, I'm the first one here. What, why? <laughs> he said, just sit in the back. Um, and so I did that for a little while. Um, I think it was probably a couple weeks after that. I don't know if you guys remember, but the road out front at S2L, I would often go out there and just kind of pace back and forth. Y'all remember that?
1: Yeah. The old track. <laughs> briefly yeah. briefly yeah there's,
3: there's been many
0: a- there's been many who have done that. yeah
3: <laughs> this this was a while ago um so yeah i was out on the street pacing back and forth and for some reason first corinthians fifteen nine pops in my head um and i don't even know what it is <laughs> it's just this that pops in my head so i so i walk back into the house go in the, the basement and i get my bible and i open it up and i'm reading it and i read it again and i read it again don't even deserve to be called an apostle and then I just broke and it was this it was this moment of God speaking to me and showing me um, how selfish how arrogant how self-centered I had been um, and and this was the first day like the deconstruction of, of that narrative began to happen hmm. um, I mean here we have Paul right like the greatest crusader for Christ saying, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle um, and that that is the humility that was missing in my life um, and I began to realize the value of servanthood and Chittister, I don't know if that would have ever happened if you didn't make me sit in the back of the bus so uh, thank good. you but that's in that like <laughs> there was there was another grieving that had to like that took place looking over the story that that was my life up to that point and truly how selfish I had been. Um, and it, and this is when I began to confront the lies, the beliefs that I held about myself. Um, and then I had another moment at catapult, Adam, many used to say a lot like this, even if moments, uh, when you make the decision that even if I lose my wife, even if you take my kids, even if I have to go to prison, God, I'm still going to love you. And I had heard you talk about that a couple times already, but this one night at catapult, I heard it. And I and I broke and I just cried. Um. And I and I made that pledge. God, even if, even if I have to go to prison, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna follow you. Even if my wife divorces me, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna follow you. Um. And it was in that surrender, man. Just gosh, changed everything. Um. Relinquished control of the lunch line, the dinner line, the the gym van. uh my thoughts. What I what I thought I needed for my future. What I all this stuff just letting it go and that's when i started to believe the promises of god right so like the promise of salvation in romans um the the promise of freedom from sin in first corinthians uh the the promise of his provision in matthew 6 like believing those things believing that god is going to provide for me um and he is going to take care of me that whole narrative changes man um it was starting, no
1: longer foxhole prayers that you were saying, God, get me out of this and I'll do this. It was God, even if, you do, 100%, even if this happens, I'm in.
3: A hundred percent. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And starting to believe like I'm made perfect in his image and he has called yeah. me, he has chosen me, he has plucked me out and predestined me for adoption. Like just sit with that. Like really, yeah. I get excited talking about it now um i don't i still don't know that's the promo I,
1: baby <laughs> what'd you say i said that's the promo right there baby <laughs> i'm just
3: saying like yeah. I, I i think i was starting to realize the weight of it like you know the further i get in my walk man the just the heavier and heavier it is because it's it's amazing um and for the first time in my life i didn't need anybody else to tell me anything about me mm. right like it it was it was what what's in the word what does christ say about me um, and taking, <laughs> stop taking him off the cross and believing that the deadly work he can do in everyone else, he can also do that in me. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about in therapy a lot, the transformative power of narrative, right? The, the, the power of story. You think about the creation account, right? Like God spoke, God breathed, and the world came into existence, In the same way, the words that we speak, speak power into our life. Um, If I believe that I'm not worthy, if I believe that I'm not good enough, if I believe that I'm not wanted, well, how am I gonna show up in relationships? Hmm. That's exactly how I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna behave in a way that makes you not want me. I'm gonna do and act and say things um, so that I get to be right. There's, there's there's this self-serving piece to that too, right? Um, I get to be right. I told you, you're just like everyone else. You're just going to walk away and you're just going to leave. And then I get to be right. But but who am I hurting? Um, so anyway. Um, yeah. That's good. And I think uh, beginning to, to recognize at that point in time that my emotions – we're not facts in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and that, in fact, my, my emotions really, they lied to me often. Um, and, and being able to step back, challenge my emotions with facts, submit them through the lens of scripture, um, and really begin to regulate my emotions, allowing the spirit to regulate my emotions. Um, I don't have to do that anymore by clicking here, taking this, drinking that. Like I, the Holy Spirit that lives in me can regulate my emotions. I don't need anything external. Um, yeah, and like working in this industry now, like what I what I want so desperately for everyone to see when they look at their story um, is it what it would look like for God to redeem the broken parts of it, because He does and He will but you gotta get out of his way. I had to get out of his way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: for me, I, I, I saw that transition for you. So for, for most people, you, you touched on it uh, briefly, but you know, TK was with us for a full year. And as you know, most people are with us for like 42 days to 84 days. <laughs> I was the so mascot TK, at that point. <laughs> TK was with us for a long time, but this man was as broken as you could possibly be when he got here. I mean, he was depressed as you could possibly be every single day I saw him seem like the worst day of his life for the yep. first several months of being there. Yep. And I'd have conversations with him. We'd pray together and then I'd see him the next day and it would just look the same. But I think it's, it's kind of like you touched on it. Um, it was that control. And it's the fact that you had no control whenever you decided to relinquish that and acknowledge like, Hey, there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this. There's almost a peace that comes with that. There's almost a comfort that comes with that, knowing that, okay, I can't do anything but submit and to surrender, not only to God, but to the men that He's placed in my life. And I have to find a way to trust what they're telling me because I desire freedom. God has set me down for the sole purpose of knowing Him more, and He's placed men in my life who can speak life. Into the dead parts of my life. And so learning to receive those words of life is critical for a man who desires freedom. You know, um, I appreciate you saying that that those words I spoke to you were encouraging to you because those words were spoken to me and they're a big deal and they don't seem like they're influencing or impacting my life, whether it's being first in this line or being first, you know, when you go to the van or man, it's so significant, like how you steward the small things, how you uh, do the small things in life is inevitably how you do the greater things. So if my posture is selfish with small things, it's indefinitely going to be selfish in greater things.
3: And and we never truly know, I I was just going to say, and we never truly know, from moment to moment the, the power of our presence in someone else's life you know yeah. it's um I, I go back to those four months where every every day was the next worst day of my life literally and, and you're a hundred percent spot on with that um but looking back realizing that i wasn't alone um you know we talk about the creation account in genesis god makes man and he says oh this it, this is good this is really good but it's not good for man to be alone Um, and Mm -hmm. as I go back and like tease out my story as a whole, I see how isolated I was from everyone and everything. Um, and some of that, a lot of that was my own doing. Um, but addiction and a sense of community can't live together. Addiction lives with isolation, right? What's the enemy's, the, the, the oldest war tactic, divide and conquer. If I can isolate this man, if I can isolate you, you're done you're done. Mm. We crave connection. We, we crave having a sense of community. Um, and if, if we don't have a sense of community, look, I mean, we are designed to bond to people. And if we are not bonding to people, we will bond to something period. Um, whether that's substances, whether that's sex, pornography, anything, we're going to find something to bond to. Uh, we're created to do that and we're created to worship. Um, and the, you know, flesh, idolatry, um, my flesh wants me to worship false idols all the time, all the time. And I, and I have, yeah. I have to put that to sleep.
1: Speaking of worship, you are a very good worship leader too, by the way, huh? Some of your gifts and talents. But, uh, I think for the people listening, uh, like many of us, myself, Chitty, Jorian, and I think a lot of people listening, what I noticed and can recall Uh, with you is and I think what what you both have hinted at was that you found comfort and maybe it was punitive or maybe it was just woe was me or whatever it is you found comfort in the pit of despair that's where you were safe and you decorated the pit that was your home and I think the listeners if this is you understand that what he's talking about now is climbing out of that pit and everything changing and i really want you to man as we close out here we're coming at the end of our time i really want you to touch on because you mentioned in your story god redeeming things you climbing out of the pit we're at this amazing moment what has god done in your life since since you left us too well the the i mean i know but i don't want to tell your stuff you know but I mean, you climbed out of the pit. You looked down and said, "That's not my home, enemy. You're a liar. I'm a bloodstained child of the kingdom. I'm not this. What you say? I'm what he says." As you mentioned, then what happened in your life? Like, let's hear that. Mm. Let's close with that, baby.
3: Yeah, man. Uh, so, so after <laughs> kind of where where I'm at now, it, it is still mind blowing uh, to me, kind of what's yeah. happened to my life. Um, I I ended up meeting a beautiful woman uh through a brother at s2l it's his sister <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a funny story um but i i was finishing i'd been at s2l for like a year and went on a date with her afterwards and uh long and things were over his
1: wife we, we didn't mention your wife did did leave and divorce you and it's not yes like were... she she did divorce yeah, yeah,
3: me yeah, yeah. um which 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 hurt but at that point in time i right even if Um, It did not hurt as much as those first four months. Um, So anyway, I I graduate S2L. I meet my lovely wife today. Um, I I come back to Knoxville and I I get really plugged in with the church community at Christ Covenant Church, Seth Hammond, uh, Dr. Jim Cofield. uh, They are my pastors. I also consider them dear friends. Um, So I'm, I'm working, doing construction at home. I have these relationships here, and I've got relationships at Shoreline Church. And then this this idea for a place called Renew Clinic gets birthed. Um, I did not birth it. This was part of the Knox County Church Network. Um, and Jim Cofield, Dr. Cofield was a part of that, and Henry Bieber, the counseling pastor at Shoreline. And God, like intricately weaving these relationships together, um, they called me and said, hey, why why don't you come sit in with us and uh, help us write the curriculum? like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, and so I did that. And I worked on that with them for about eight months, seven or eight months. And then it was, well, hey, we'd like for you to be a, a counselor at Renew. It's was like, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Uh, and so I, I started praying because I was doing pretty well with construction. Um, and I yeah. wasn't sure if I wanted to go back into doing therapy. And so I prayed. I was like, God, slam this door shut. If that is not where you want me, please just make it clear as day. Uh, and he did, uh, found out some things happened with my business partner in the construction, uh, business about a week later. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to renew. Um, at this time I'm married, uh, and renew starts. We have a baby. Uh, his name is Jude. He's about 18 months old now. So all long story short, um, Tucker, who he is now five, that was from my previous marriage. Um, I have partial custody, um, of him now. Uh, I get him, it's, it's closer to one third custody. So it's more than every other weekend, which I never thought would happen. Um, I have have super supervised visitation for two years. Um, so I never thought that that would happen. So I have custody of Tucker. We have our 18 month old son. His name is Jude. He is beautiful. And then we have a 10 year old. Uh, so I adopted Brooks son, uh from a previous relationship wow. that she had. So now married, three kids, helping Sarah Keel run a treatment center. And I actually just started a private <sighs> practice at Christ Covenant Church with Doctor Cofield. Watch out now. So, Watch yeah. out now. Yeah. Wow. Watch out now. So it's a, it's amazing God, and and I gets it's exciting. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm just completely humbled, uh even just Sharing with you today, I think every time I look back at my story, I realize just how broken I really was Um, and and the miracle that God worked in my life to get me to a place where I get to share my testimony. Um, And you too, and you too played a pivotal role in this. And uh, thank you. Praise God.
1: Praise God. From the pit of despair to the self-proclaimed in the gutter, Broken Darkest seasons of his life Season of his life To a clinical director Married to the woman of his dreams And the best dad in the world That's life after addiction And you better believe it baby Come Come on
2: Thank you for listening to this episode Of Life After Addiction Life After Addiction Is a production of S2L Studio For more Christ centered addiction recovery resources Please visit s2l.net that's S, the number 2, L.NET. For more information about S2L's licensed and accredited residential program, please visit S2LRecovery.org. That's S, the number 2, LRecovery.org.
1: We want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Life After Addiction podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of their faith centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and much more. Thank you so much for listening today and God bless. Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between.
3: You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.